Well, thank you for that introduction, Pastor. And I'm always appreciative of the chance I get to come up here and, and share the Word of God. And uh, very appreciative of this church. And Pastor, I'm very appreciative of you and your humility because there isn't a pastor I'd rather learn under and learn from than you. So don't sell yourself short when you're up here, you know. So if you would with me, open up your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 46. That's where we're going to be our main text for this evening. And if you've got a ribbon in your Bible... Go ahead and mark 2 Kings chapter 18, because we're going to kind of be flipping back and forth between those two uh, books tonight. When I'm reading, I don't know how other preachers figure out what they want to preach from, but as I'm just kind of reading, every once in a while, something just reaches out and grabs me and touches my heart. And uh, when I'm reading through the book of Psalms, I love to read through that book. Every, no matter what book I'm in, I try to get into the Psalms every day, because there's just so many different types of Psalms that you can read through that you can find in these books. Uh, Psalms of sadness, songs of lamenting, you know, like, why is this happening to me? Because Some, sometimes we can relate to that. There's other times of the Psalms that they're singing praises and hymns towards the Lord, right? And I love to read about those. Some Psalms that give us wisdom and even. But then there are some songs like the one we're going to read tonight that uh, demonstrate our trust and our faith in a holy and powerful God. And while I don't agree with all the teachings of Martin Luther from the Reformation, we're going to read from Psalm 46. One thing I did find in the history that I loved about him was that he's recorded that whenever his church and his congregation was going through times of trouble, he pulled his Bible and he said, hey, let's sing through the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. Right? Because Martin Luther knew what we were going to talk about tonight and that our safety is in God. So let's read Psalm 46 and then let's talk about it a little bit. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear... Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease until the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me this opportunity to stand up here and, and exposit on your word, God. I just pray that you fill me with your spirit. Guide my words tonight so that I may preach what you want me to say. Nothing more, nothing less, God. And then please uh, fill the congregation out here with your spirit so that something I may say may touch their hearts and they be able to apply it to their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in my study, I found that to, to really study and understand the scripture I'm going to preach on, one of the things I really like to know, right, is, is when was this written, where was it written, what was going on at the time of this psalmist, right? Normally, when I think of the book of Psalms, I don't know why, it's just me, I think of David, right? But when I get to looking at this one, this was not a psalm that was written by David. Now, there's some dispute a little bit when you go looking back into this psalm on who the actual writer was. But as I studied the different, different viewpoints on this, I came to a kind of agree with some of the major commentators like Warren Wiersbe that uh, this was kind of probably, more than likely, written 
during the time of King Hezekiah. He may even be the author of this himself. And it was during the time that uh, the Assyrians had just taken over Israel and they were setting siege, getting ready to march on to Jerusalem, trying to take over the kingdom of Judah. So it got me looking. I was going to look back through it and we can find that story. That's why I said to Mark 2 Kings because that's where the story of King Sennacherib I love those biblical names. They always get you nice and a little tongue-tied there. But King Sennacherib of Assyria was getting ready to march on to Judah. So the first thing I want to know about, well, if we think this is written by King Hezekiah, what kind of king was Hezekiah? So if you flip over in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 5, speaking of Hezekiah, the Bible says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that David his father did, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen servant that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. So Hezekiah, he was the 13th king of Judah. You know, after King David and then King Solomon, it kind of split apart into two areas, right? We had Israel, we had Judah, Israel, the northern kingdom, and they had nothing but wicked kings. But Judah in the south, they had some good kings. And Hezekiah was the 13th uh, one of those kings. And he did some things that the other kings didn't do. Not only did he stop the worship of, of false gods, he also tore down the high places. This is something we had just learned in, in Faith Bible Institute. You may read back at some of the other kings, it would say they tore down the high places, but they did not tear down the high places. Right? So we just learned this a couple weeks ago, that when they tore down the high places, this was a worship to false gods. That's, they got in the habit of going to these high places to worship the gods of Moab, you know, to go to worship Baal. But other kings would not tear down the high places where they would go to worship Jehovah God. They were going to worship the one true God, but they were not worshiping God in the way that God wanted them to worship. Well, King Hezekiah was a little bit different. He tore down those high places and said Jerusalem was the only place where you needed to come and worship God. You needed to worship God the way God intended you to worship him. That made him different than all the other gods. So much that, because the Bible says that there were none that came after before him, and there were none like him that came after. So it was in the fourth year that Hezekiah was king of Judah, when the Assyrians, they, they came and they took Samaria, and they took Israel, and made them captives. Eleven years later, in the fourteenth year, Sennacherib brought the Assyrian army into Judah. And he began to take all the fenced cities of Judah and he was coming up close to Jerusalem. It must have been a very scary time for the people of Judah and for King Hezekiah to see at least 185,000 soldiers marching upon his city, having taken other parts of his country captive already. And it was at this time that Hezekiah, he turned to the Lord for safety. And I believe that's where we get this psalm from. So keep that kind of backdrop in mind as we study the words of this psalm. Again, the psalm starts out back, let me flip it over, Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So as these people were marking on King Hezekiah, the psalmist realized that God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our stronghold. He's our shelter, the place that we need to turn to. What's the first thing, though, that he can give us? He gives us protection, right, when we go into his shelter. And where is that protection? Well, it's everywhere. As it says there in verse 1, it's a very present help 
in the time of trouble. No matter where we go, we can get help from God. Job 34.21 reads, For his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. Proverbs 15.3 tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I'm sure we've heard of these verses a lot, right? And we think of these verses, and they're great verses. And we think about them, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing right, because the Lord sees me everywhere I go. No matter what I'm doing, I don't want to sin, because God's there and he's watching me. But how many times do we get in times of trouble, and all of a sudden we don't think God's there with us anymore? Right? We turn our back, we say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why are you allowing this trouble to befall me? God is always watching no matter what it is. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He's with us in the mountaintops. He's with us in the valleys. We don't have to feel alone when times of trouble come near us. God is always there. He's standing right there beside us saying, turn to me, child. Come to me. I will give you protection. We don't have to think of that just as a negative thing, God watching us. He's just waiting for his children to come to him. And what is he going to protect us from? Well, he's going to protect us from those outside, those evil forces. We see here in verse 2 of the psalm, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Think about the city of Jerusalem. When Pastor was teaching a few weeks ago and he put his map up on the screen, this is what I thought when I read about this, right? Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. Mountains on the east, right? We had the Mount of Olives to the east. The temple that was there built on Mount Moriah. And on the west side, there was Mount Zion. And we had all of these Assyrian forces surrounding this mountain. They had every right to be afraid, but the psalmist says, we shall not fear, even though those soldiers, they could come tear down those mountains. They could come tear up that city. They could probably do it with just a little effort with 185,000 of them. But there was no match for God, though, right? And while we're not surrounded by those mountains, and we don't have a physical army waiting to attack us, right? The devil and his demons are all around us, and they're waiting to attack us just the way that army was waiting there to attack Jerusalem. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking whoever he may devour. Ephesians 6.12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is all around us, just as those Assyrian soldiers were surrounding Jerusalem right there. While we're not surrounded by mountains, that imagery still remains. How many times have you been attacked? How many times have bad things started to happen to you, and you're like, my God, my Lord, my world is falling apart, just like those mountains were being removed, Right? Something bad happens to you, you have a death in your family that's unexpected. You unexpectedly lose a job. Your child goes out and does something that you don't understand why they're behaving the way they do. And all this stuff to pile up on you, and it gets harder and harder and harder, and you just don't understand what's going on. It's the devil at work. It's the devil attacking. I bet Job felt like his world was falling apart. Right? He lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. All brought on by the devil. One accuser that went to God and told God, hey, let me take it from him. He'll, he'll definitely turn from you, right? But Job wouldn't turn his back on God, just like we shouldn't turn our back on God either. No, just like the psalmist, he was not afraid of the attacks of the devil. He accepted the good and the bad that came from the Lord, and he wasn't going to turn his back on God because he knew his protection came from the Lord. We must be the same way when the devil has or is getting ready to attack us. Trust in the Lord and turn to him for our protection. 
But it's not always the devil that's going to attack us, right? Sometimes it's just from the cares of the world. When I get to verse 3, it says, Throw the waters thereof, roar, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Right? Sometimes we take too much upon ourselves, our needs. Our spouse wants this from us. Work is demanding we do that. It, and it's not unbiblical. It's just so much stuff going on, and we get overwhelmed. Right? We, we become prideful. We start to think that we can do everything on our own. We get covetous because we don't have what our neighbors have. We want to work harder. We want this. We want that. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, the waters are just pouring on me, Lord. I feel like I'm drowning here. I'm drowning. I don't know what to do. You know, I felt this way a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago, right when school started. I got in, and the school was going, and, man, I was running the, the business club. I was running the Turning Point USA club. I was advising about 80 students. I was getting my classes going. You know, I just created this master show, so I had to train another teacher on this. And, and I started getting a little prideful on myself. And I started thinking, about, hey, look at all these good things I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, it started adding up. And I was starting to wake up each morning, and I was starting to think, man, how am I going to get this done today? How am I going to do this today? There's no way I can do it. And when I started to do that, I started to turn away from God. You know, that took away from my Bible time. It took away from studying because I was so consumed with what I was going to do that day at work, how I was going to handle everybody else's needs. I forgot to look to God and for the protection that he provides. We don't need to feel like we're drowning. We don't need to feel like we're about ready to explode, like, it reads, like the psalmist says in those mountains. That pressure builds up in there, Right? In times like that, we tend to forget about the things of God. We become as one as the parable of the sower, right? That received the seed among the thorns. We know the word of God. We want to grow in the word of God. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, they choke the word in us, and we become unfruitful. We become unfruitful. We're not producing that fruit of the Spirit that it talks about in Galatians 5.22, right? We no longer have the peace. Joy, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, goodness, faith. We start lacking these. We don't portray ourselves as a good witness to Christ anymore. We start thinking, woe is me. It's at this point more than ever that we need to run to God for protection. We need to return to that refuge. We need to let God be our strength. Turn to God for shelter. As it says in Philippians 4, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth us all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Christ will protect us. He will be there when we humble ourselves and we let go of all anxiousness and we just return to him. And we protect us when we stay in his shelter. Right? But not only do we see, when we're in his shelter, do we receive the protection of God? We also receive the provision of God. If we look there in verse 4, it says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Here we're talking about some physical provision from the God. Water here. You know, a person can only live three days without water. And as these people, as these Assyrians were getting around there, getting ready to attack Hezekiah and his city, we learn from other parts of Scripture that Hezekiah built a tunnel during this time. To protect his city, he stopped up the Gihon Springs and other outside walls of the sources of water that flowed into the, the Siloam Pool. We can read in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 32, 2-4, the Bible tells us when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come 
and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountain which were without the city. And they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Right? And God took that water. And what Hezekiah do? He built tunnels throughout the city. Because in, in 2 Kings 20, verse 20, it says, And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made a pool and a conduit, and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And this was all done by the power of God. It wasn't Hezekiah. Because, you know, this tunnel was discovered in 1838 by an American, uh, American explorer. And it, wasn't a, it was contributed to be Hezekiah's tunnel. And it was thought to be that way. Until 2013, some biblical scholars from the, the National Biblical Archaeology Society, they started to question it. And I don't know why people ever do this. Why do they need to question this book, right? This book here said that, that Hezekiah built those tunnels. Hezekiah put it, stopped up the waters, and he stopped all that. But in 2013, they found an inscription that was kind of near the Siloam Pool that was dated about 500 years later than what this time was supposed to be around Hezekiah's time. And then they started to reason to themselves, and they said, it couldn't be done. We know what was going on before then. There's no way Hezekiah and his men could have built this tunnel that quickly. Why do they doubt the power of God? It was just... Two years ago, in 2020, when all doubt was erased. Because there was an old Hebrew script was discovered by biblical scholars, again, in that area. In that biblical archaeology book, that scholarship book, that renowned magazine had to go back and retract their story from 10 years ago. Because it detailed, the, this script detailed the first 17 years of Hezekiah's reign that proved that those tunnels were built at the exact time that the Bible said it was. We don't need to doubt this book. We can believe what it says in this book. This book is true, and Hezekiah built those tunnels, but it wasn't Hezekiah that gets the glory for that, right? All glory came from God. It probably was, as man-made looks at that, it probably was way too hard for man to build those tunnels. But Hezekiah was a man of God. God had his back. God said, you're coming to me for protection, Hezekiah? I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect the city. I'm going to provide water for you and take it away from those Assyrian soldiers. I'm going to guide it through the city. But not only did they get some physical provision there, it was also spiritual provision. If we keep reading on in our psalm, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God was in the midst of those waters. You know, water is spiritually known, is related to Christ and through our salvation throughout the Bible. Right? It starts off in Isaiah Chapter 2, which Isaiah was a prophet during the time of Hezekiah. So they would have definitely known when this was written that water was a spiritual reference. Isaiah 2, or chapter 12, verses 2 through 3 reads, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the well of salvation. And this imagery was so prophetic at the time of what Christ was going to do. How he would become our salvation. And how he would become our living water. Just like the song we sang this morning. I loved it. Drinking at the springs of living water, right? Happy now am I. My soul it satisfies. John 4. I think of this when I was heard this, reading about this water, right? The first thing that kind of popped in my mind was John 4 and the woman at the well. When Jesus says, whoever drink this water shall thirst again. 
But whoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of spring up into everlasting life. And Jesus here doesn't specifically say what that water is. But if you keep reading on in your Bible, you just keep reading on in John chapter 7. Right? We're just a few more chapters along. We're going to expand that just a little bit further. Because Jesus stood up and said in John chapter 7, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. But this he spake ye of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Once we believe in Jesus, we become indwelled with that Holy Spirit. We get that living water. We get the spiritual provision from Christ that the psalmist was writing about. Right? And, in, and he does everything that we need to do spiritually. He, he assures us of our salvation. He convicts us of our wrongdoing and guides us in our directions of what is right and wrong. We get that aforementioned fruits of the Spirit. Now we have the joy, the peace, the meekness, the gratitude. We have peace and joy in our life. And it's amazing that how God works because I was studying this, and Aaron, you listened to him with me, and I think, Josh, you've listen, been listening to Scott Pauly, and he started talking about the Spirit too. And he, and he talked about these verses the other day. And one thing, that the way he put it, i got to steal this from you because I absolutely loved him. He said, look at the chronological events of what happened here. First, Jesus offers a cup of water. Second, we go to him and we take that cup of water and we drink it and get filled ourselves. And third, it is flowing out of our bellies now for everyone else to come and get a taste of themselves. Right? God wants us to share his word, to share his spirits with others. So they may say, have that same provision, that same spiritual provision and protection that we have come to know from him. And the last thing I want to speak about the provision of God here, we can see here in the, in the second part of verse 5, it says, God's in the midst of her, and she, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. That right early. Every morning. Every morning we get God's provision. Every day. Every day it is renewed. His grace, His mercy comes new to us again. Jeremiah wrote in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, says, it is the Lord's mercies that we are, con- are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Praise the Lord for his grace, his mercy, and his faithfulness and his provision that comes new to us every morning. I need it every day. And I, I'm grateful I get it every day, even when I don't ask for it. Even when I don't specifically say, Lord, I need this, he still gives it to me. Imagine how much more we could get it if we were to wake up every morning and put our feet on the floor and say, God, Thank you for providing for me. Fill me with your spirit today. I need the provision of that Holy Spirit. So we see when God is our refuge, we get his protection. We get his provision. But you can see here, we also, we can get his promises. In verse 6 of our psalm, it says, The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Well, this is where I need to flip back over to Kings here, chapter 18, because, boy, when they were getting ready to attack when those Assyrians were getting ready to attack, they sure did rage at King Hezekiah. What does it say here in verse 18? Oh, I'm on to 1 Kings. Let me get to 2 Kings here, 18. Why did they were saying, King Hezekiah, you don't need to fight us. You don't need to battle against us. 
Ah, I knew I wasn't on the right verse there either. I had to go back one more chapter. So in 2 Kings 18 and verse 22, it says, But if you say unto me, We trust in the Lord God, is it not that he whose highest places and whose altars Hezekiah taken away, and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So he's saying, Hey, you sinned against God here. Hezekiah doesn't even believe in God. He's taken down the altars. But I just told you at the beginning, right? That was something God wanted him to do. He wanted him to worship right. So the, they rage and said, this is a sin. God isn't on your side. But they had committed no sin at all. In 2 Kings 18.25, Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Here the king of Assyria is saying, God has spoken to me. God has told me that it is his will to overtake you. No, don't trust the unsaved. Don't trust the unbelievers when they're telling you something is God's will and that they were sent by God to do something like that. We continue on in, in 18 chapters 31, verses 31 through 32. The king of Assyria is saying, Hearken not unto Hezekiah. For thus said the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me. And then ye eat ye every man of his own vine and drink every one of his own fig tree and drink ye every one of the waters of a cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of honey, that you may live and not die. Hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. What are the, what are the heathen raging about here? They're saying, No, I'm going to take care of you. Come with us. Don't worry about what the Lord says. Don't worry about what God's telling you. I'm going to provide everything that God can provide for you. Go ahead, come with me. Just surrender yourselves. Turn yourselves over to me. And finally, the big one that put the nail in the Assyrian's coffin, so to say, is in 33, verse 33 through 35, the king of Assyria says, Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all out of the land, out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvarim, Hena, and Iva? Are they delivered Samaria out of my hands? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Finally, the king of Assyria is saying, your God is not strong enough to save you. Look at all these other gods. They couldn't do it, and neither will your God. Your God is just not strong enough. Through all the raving of the heathens there, Hezekiah did not feared. He was not moved. He was not afraid. Instead, he went to find the word of the Lord. Right? In 2 Kings 19, 6 through 7, Hezekiah went to his prophet. He went to Isaiah. He said, Isaiah, this is what, the, this is what that king said. You know, he's raging against me. He's saying, I don't need to trust him. I can't survive him. Our God's not strong enough. You know, that he's saying it's God's will. I'm a little bit scared here. What should I do? But Isaiah said unto them, Thus ye shall say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon them, and he shall hear a rumor, and he shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So what does it say back in our psalm? In 46, right? It says the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttereth his voice, and the earth melted. That's all God has to do. He just has to give his word, has to give his promise, and it's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened to the king of Assyria and his army. Just flip over a little bit more in 19 and verse 
35, and it came to pass that night when the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians, and a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand, 185,000 of those soldiers. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sekinacharib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrash, his god, that Adramalek and Sherazar, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esharhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. God spoke the words, and it happened. God made a promise to King Hezekiah here. That's all he had to do was make that promise. And when we see promises like that fulfilled by God, we know that God is true, that God keeps his word. Right. We can apply this to, to our real world, to our lives, right? What does the world tell you? How does the world, how do the heathen rage against us? What do they tell us? They say, I know you're no saint. I've seen you sin. God doesn't love you because of that. I know what you're doing. God's not going to help you. He's not going to protect you. They're going to look at us, and they're going to talk about their own sin. And they're going to say, you know what? God made us this way. God made us homosexual. God made us transgender. And we're all God's children. And he loves us all. This is God's will. This was his will for my life. Why else would I be this way? Right? They're going to tell you, hey, there's many ways to get to heaven. Don't worry about what your Bible says. You know what? We're all worshiping the same God. We just call him by different names. Because God is a loving God. He's not going to send people to hell. He wouldn't do that. Why would a loving God do that? And even the most blasphemous of all the world, of all the heathens when they rage, they're going to tell you God is not real. Why are you talking to that imaginary being in the sky? Just as that king of Assyria said, your God is not powerful enough to save you from our attack. But that's not what God promises. That is not at all what God promises. God promises whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God promises whoever shall believe on Jesus shall never perish but have eternal life. God promises that when two or three are gathered in his name, that he is with us. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And if we ask anything in his name, it shall be given to us. He has conquered death. Not only in this situation, right? But in, in general, in overall, for all of eternity. He has put Satan in his place. Go back to our psalm here. Verses 8 to 9, it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease until the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder, and he burneth the chariot in fire. So whether it was war during that time with the king of Assyria or the battle against the devil in the day of Armageddon when this world's going to end, we know Jesus Christ has the final victory. We know God's promises are true and that he's going to deliver us from those promises, by his promises. And the final point I want to make tonight is, is why does... God give us his protection? Why does he give us provision? And why does he keep his promises to us when we go to seek refuge in him? It's for his preeminence, for his superiority, specifically to the non-believers. Right? Look here in verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still, stand in awe of our almighty and powerful God. Right? God could rapture us all away this very instant. He could take us all to a much better place if he wanted to. Right? And we'd all be so happy to leave this world and leave our sin behind, leave our corruption behind. And he could begin the process of defeating Satan and ending this world any day now. He has that power. But that's not his will yet. 
It's his will that none be lost. That all those heathen that are raging, that they turn from their wicked ways. That they come to know Christ. He does his mighty works not to impress us. Not because he thinks we're worthy of all of this stuff. He does it because he loves us. He wants to declare to the world so that the lost may see it. And the lost may see how power and mightyful he is and know that he is God. But soon time's going to run out and the lost are not going to have a choice. They're going to be sentenced to their eternity in hell for their unbelief and the entire earth will exalt God. Jesus Christ will live and reign on this earth and us believers will be with him worshiping and praising his name. And what a glorious day that will be. And then we will truly be, as we finish up here in verse 11, as our psalm finishes up, the Lord of, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. We will be in heaven and we will be in his shelter and his protection and his glory forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful message in the book of Psalms that it shows us, God, just how powerful and mighty you are and how you are always going to provide some protection for us, some provision for us. And you do this all for your preeminence. So for those that love you, Lord, you know, you're not going to turn your back on them. We can count on you in our times of trouble, Lord. And also, thank you for what you're doing to show this lost world just how powerful you are. And we pray that if there's anyone out there that has not come to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they do so today, Lord, before it's too late. Let them run to God. Let them turn to Jesus. Let him be their refuge in a time of storm. Let them declare Jesus as the only name that can save them. Accept his work on the cross and get saved today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.